What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 40. That's 4-0 of Betting and Boozing here on the HHH Racing Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Roscoe, and what an unbelievable card we have coming for you guys today with Oklahoma Derby Day card here at Remington Park on Sunday. Again, this is not Saturday. This is Sunday, but they came out with the entries early enough to where we're going to cover a fantastic card for Remington's best day of their meet. And not only that, we'll be covering multiple marquee matchups in NCAA football and, of course, NFL football on Sunday. Um, and a little bit of uh, foreshadowing here. I'm assuming we're going to get into a pretty heated argument here between uh, two of our co-hosts that are happen to be fans of opposing sides coming this Saturday. But again, we'll leave it until we get to that portion of the show, but a little bit of teaser for you guys. For anyone new here, thank you guys so much for stopping by. Again, this is our 40th episode, which is absolutely crazy to say. Of course, that's 40 weeks of betting and booze in which we only have you guys to thank. So thank you guys so much for supporting us in everything we do. We only appreciate it. Um, as you see scrolling across the bottom, the bottom side of the screen, um, the flagship show tomorrow, Howard, Pete, and Paul will be covering a fantastic card on Saturday at Parks. It is Pennsylvania Derby Day, which is their biggest day of the meet. So a little bit of smaller track, smaller track week for you guys today. So, you know, uh, uh, some tracks that are not really covered over, you know, a lot of different podcasts, but these days will definitely be covered. So hopefully you guys enjoy these days, but that will be tomorrow at 730 Eastern Daylight Time. And that will, again, we'll be covering Pennsylvania Derby Day at Parks, which Paul, one of the co-hosts, will, of course, be there as he was last year on Pennsylvania Derby Day. But if you're brand new here or you're coming back on the regular and you aren't subscribed, why not? It's free. Please go below the bottom uh, under the video, the big red subscribe button. Please hit it and hit the like button while you're down there. That helps push out this video and every other video that we post into the YouTube algorithm to get more people to come watching our show, which of course benefits us and benefits you guys. So please do that. We'd greatly appreciate it. And hit that notification bell to be notified on every single show that comes up on the HHH racing podcast network. Cause it's not only Wednesday and Thursdays. Sometimes we have live shows on the weekend. Sometimes we have recap shows earlier in the week. So it's stuff that you do not want to miss. Please hit like subscribe and hit the notification bell. But guys, going through the peripherals right here, and then we'll get into it pretty quickly. If you're more of an audio listener, whether you listen to it at the gym or while you work or on the way to work in the car, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchors, where you'll find every single episode that is posted onto the HHH Racing Podcast Network, not only of Bet and Boozin, but of every single show that's posted. So please go like and review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. The power picks for the HHH Racing Podcast, we send out um, – Two full write-ups of tracks. That's uh, Howard, Pete, and Paul who do them. It's only $4 a weekend, $15.99 a, a month, which is how Patreon uh, bills it out to you every month, $15.99. But you're getting two full write-ups of tracks, which include grid plays, spot plays, price plays, minim like minimum two to three per track. And you're getting that for only $4. Again, that's two full tracks for only 4 bucks a weekend. If you're not subscribed, you are missing out, not to mention the positive ROI, which is which is above, excuse me, above um, $2.30 over the entirety of how long we've been doing the power picks, which is over almost two years at this point, which is kind of nuts. Again, that's positive ROI for two years. You are missing out. Patreon.com slash HHH racing podcast. And of course, 
manned by our co-host on the on the flagship show, Pete Viscu. If if you want to know anything about us, uh, you want to see previous editions of the Power Picks, please go to hhhracingpodcast.com and check it out there. See a bunch of people in the chat joining in. Thanks, you guys, so much for joining in. Greatly appreciate it. But we are going to have, for the first time, not the first time, but the first time since it was announced, we're going to have the full entire crew on here tonight for you guys. It's going to be a special show, starting with the newest edition, the newest full-time Edition to Benton and Booze on the HHH Racing Podcast from the West Coast, Noah Maher from the East Coast on the other side, Patrick Kunsel, and from the Ohio State University, Charlie Freeman. Boys, we're all here tonight. What's going on? Finally, finally. <laughs> and all I get up from Noah is a laugh, so I know we're ready to go. But um, I see a bunch of comments in here. Racing downwind is here. Booze and boys, let's do this. Absolutely. The wall's on fire. Yeah, that's the portraying is that Tiger Bears organization is just on my back wall. So, Howard, <laughs> thanks for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Jim Pilars is here for his last Wednesday. Let's make it count. Jim, trust me, there's going to be a lot of good good banter and good uh, analysis here on this podcast tonight. So, thanks for joining the show. Tom Espinoza says, looks like a metal concert. Maybe that's what I was going for, Tom. You'll never know. But I decided to play around with the lights a little bit. Hopefully, it's not too much distracting. Is it the two slid or a wave? Charles B is here. Thanks so much for doing the show. Simon O'Neill says, buy now, don't delay. Very astute viewer from all the way on across the pond in the UK. Simon, thanks so much for joining the show. I uh, greatly appreciate it. And then Kyle, uh, Penn State's guy says, tell the boss he'll need a handicap from a canoe for the Pennsylvania Derby day tomorrow. Man, yeah, I it's looked incredible. at the weather for that, and yeah, it looks pretty bad. Paul might have to take a canoe to the track on Saturday <laughs> if they're still running. But Penn State, Scott, thanks so much, man, for joining the show. But, guys, we're going to get started pretty quick here as we have a lot of racing to cover and a lot of football to cover as well. Because Remington Park again, it's their biggest day. It's it's an um, an eight stake card. To only two of them are graded. The last two, the Remington Park Oaks and the Oklahoma Derby, are both grade threes. But the rest of the um, card, except for the first two races, are all listed stakes. So it's a it's an absolutely fantastic card. Very big fields in all these races. So it's going to be a great betting day as well. And there are some pretty decent favorites in here, but. There's no saying that they're necessarily locks by any means in these races, but this should be um, this should be a good show. And not to mention that our picks will be as hot as my background is. Again, it looks like my background is on fire, which um, funny enough, the the lighting program says this is fire. So, um, you know, that's the way it goes. But we're going to get right into the pick late pick five here. It starts in race number six at Remington Park on Sunday. And again, if you're in the chat and you've already looked at this card, please feel free to post your opinions in the live chat. We will definitely take a look at every single chat that goes through. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. Race number six is the Kip DeVille stakes going um, as I click around. It's not showing up. Okay, there we go. Six furlongs on the dirt for two-year-olds. Draws a field of nine in this field with some very with a very wide group, I would say. You got some Oklahoma breads, some uh, Louisiana breads, Texas breads, Kentucky breads, and a Nebraska bread. So this is a full family affair here as I shared the screen to look at the Equibase. They do not have morning lines out for these first three races we are talking about. They are out for the... Uh, Remington Park Oaks and the Oklahoma Derby that they got out early, but um, they are not out for these races. Full field of nine 
Most likely the morning line favorite will either be the number four, good like magic for Pratt and Cox, or the number eight, general shipman for uh oh, I cannot remember her name. Uh Toehill and Shields or Slice, excuse me, but uh, General Shipman beat Good Leg Magic last time out, but obviously the connections of Good Leg Magic could push uh, him into favoritism as well. But I'm going to switch over the picks right now, guys, and I'll have Noah start first. So the way we're going to do this, guys, since we have four on the screen, I'm going to pass it off to Noah right away, and he's going to go through his top three, mainly most about his top pick, and then a little bit if he wants to add anything underneath. And then we'll kind of just go around in a roundtable um, selection to kind of make it a little bit quicker for you guys but race number six they switch over the picks we all have the same exact top three but noah's going with a horse that none of us have on top uh it is the number three magical mark for carl broberg and the shipping over christian torres who's been who rode fantastic at churchill and of course at uh the oaklawn meet but what'd you like most noah about magical mark yeah, I went with Magical Mark to kick us off. Um, when I first looked at this race, I didn't really see any horses that would kind of pass each other. Um, but in terms of speed, I was impressed with the 74 on debut and obviously 1 by 10. Uh, but who knows uh, who he beat that time. And I just feel like he was kind of over his head in that listed stake at Ellis. I mean, it seemed like a pretty good field, and the wine steward came back to win. Um, he's had a little bit of a break. Um, Carl Broberg, I don't know a ton about him, but when I do see him, he seems very professional. You know, he ships to win. He ships with intent. Um, and like you said, with Chris Torres, he, he's, he's been riding harder than anybody. Uh, so that's my top pick. And then I went with Good Luck Magic in second. Um, probably the horse that would be most likely to, to stalk off that, off that speed and go by in the stretch. Uh, I just feel like you're going to get a horrible price with these connections. They're going to get played all sequence long. Um, and then I went with, General Shipman in third, um, who won on debut and then actually beat Good Like Magic last time, but kind of surprised at 10 to 1. Yeah, and of course, I'll let uh, Patrick talk about General Shipman the most as he has him on top, but they they both did race last time in the same race. Uh, General Shipman set a pretty contested early pace, but although he was alone, this was able to power through, but they were coming at him in the final strides between Dawson Storm and Good Like Magic, who ended up getting passed by Dawson Storm in the late stages. But Patrick, of course, you have this horse on top, and you think that even though Good Like Magic and all those connections in here again, you think he'll have he shouldn't have any problem with uh, versus this field. Yeah, I just think General Shipment's faster um, and should clear uh, being outside as well in this spot. Um, you know, like you said, facing similar foes. Um, that, you know, I, I just think the pace in this race is going to be set up by General Shipman, who uh, on the PPs looks to just be insanely fast. Um, and, uh, you know, I think should show improvement again off this last race and uh, could only get better. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I don't know if you want to hit on, you know, who you have. You, I know you have the uh, four on top, but the three uh, magical mark that uh, Noah hit on, you know, th that horse, um, you know, last out. Um, you know, that's kind of a toss race for me. They did have some excuses in that race. Um, and the four, you know, I'm expecting that horse, you know, like you said, connections wise is going to take money and probably will be the favorite. So that, that would benefit me with my selection. Yeah. And it's, it's really going to come down to connections versus, um, pace scenario here. There are a lot of horses that want to be up front, which Charlie, I'm sure you saw what I saw in the fact that, um, even though it was a fast pace last time, 
General Shipman um, is going to have to take a lot of pressure in this race, but um, I think even General Shipman could be the more than line favorite just based on you know um, race flow alone and the fact that he beat a horse like Good Like Magic last time out. Yeah, I mean, for me, I see the one, two, and three all have to go. The eight has to go. You have a bunch of horses in this field that, and also even for ones that might not have been on the lead, you can simply see by the fact that some of these horses are running four and a half, five furlongs. It feels like just about every horse has to go. And the only ones that don't have to go are mainly the horses that just don't have the speed to be able to go. Like they're the horses that have no business being entered in this race and will probably be 30 to one. will sit in the back and be a non-factor for me. The only stalker I even see in this race or more of a presser, to be honest, is the four horse. And that's why I put the horse on. Uh, 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 that's why I ended up putting um, uh, good luck magic on top. Honestly, obviously don't get me wrong. It's nice to get Pratt. Obviously great to have Cox as well. And the horses working decently, but for me, it wasn't even about the connections. If you blank those out and just let me look strictly from a style perspective, I understand that the horse was in a hot pace last time, closed in and couldn't quite get there. I completely get that. That's why for me, I think this race does come down to the four and the eight. I'm just banking on the fact that you're going to get another hot pace race. And maybe just because there's going to be a little more of those horses that have ran shorter than this that are going to, you know, for me, typically it's the shorter the race, the faster those speed horses are because they're yep. used to just going in an all out sprint. And I just feel like this is going to be an extremely hot pace. I think it hurts the eight that a lot of the speed is going to be, you know, right on the rail because it's not like, oh, well, if the eight just beats the horse out next to it, the horse is set. The eight's going to yep. have to move across with all the speed already to the inside. I just think the four is going to happily say, you guys all next to me can go. I'll sit right in behind. Uh, I think he's going to get a great trip. I think Flavian's going to navigate it well. I think he'll go right by them all late. The only reason I think the eight could be tough is, as you mentioned, the eight is the only one that has experience out of all these speed horses and dealing with a hot pace and actually showing the ability to hang on. So for me, it's between those two. The eight will be the only speed horse that can hang on the whole way. The question is, can the four take the trip? Yeah, and the funny thing you say that, Charlie, is um, you mentioned about how the one, two, and three have to go to the inside or they look like they'll be going to the inside. Um, I mean, if you if you do the math, you know, one, two, three, you got the number four, good like magic, who looks to just slot in right behind him on the rail. And if they're the the eight's pretty deep and has to navigate a trip from out there, good like magic just looks to have a really nice trip in this spot. And I understand that he did get beat last time and he really didn't have too many excuses. But the fact of the matter is that the eight's gonna probably be stuck out wide unless he clears. He's going to have to deal with the three horses doing his inside and whether they're good enough to good enough uh to beat him or not it's just a matter of if he takes enough pressure does a horse like good like good like magic have enough um on the back end to be able to finish down the lane in this spot and the, i understand that uh the number eight dealt with it both times and obviously he was fourth by a neck and that's well he was dueling out in the open so that could be another thing to the um experience standpoint but we'll take a look at this race real quick just from this, just from this, uh, the out of the gate and then the stretch run. Um, this was at Prairieretto's and the freshman stakes. So you'll see the number, um, the number four, I believe, is General Shipman, if I'm not mistaken. I think yeah, so you see who, good luck, Magic. Mm, I don't know, actually. Let's see. Oh, the number eight is good luck, Magic. My apologies. You're right, Charlie. I'm stupid. So number four, four is General Shipman. Shipman. So you'll see he's back. Uh, the number eight is back here. Number four, General Shipman just takes command early. Um, what do you think, Mark, who was one to two in this race by Arlington legend, uh, Patricia's hope, but you'll see the number eight kind of, he comes early, makes an early move to the outside, kind of falls back a little bit as we'll move to the stretch run. You'll see general shipments just getting asked here. And now the eights in full out drive looks like almost pushed the button a little too early, but still is enough to finish down the lane here. And I know general shipments still not really being asked, 
although he starts to ask him really here and he's getting caught. The legs are getting a little weary. The wire comes, but in a race like that where this horse might have a little bit more pressure to his inside, I could see a horse like Good Leg Magic just getting a perfect trip. And, you know, General Shipman could be the better horse in the long run, but it's just a matter of I think Good Leg Magic could just benefit from an easy trip in a spot like this. But it's nice when we have the same top three so we can get through this race fairly quickly, just bang, bang. There's one other horse that was stalking as Racing Downwind mentioned. The four and the nine, the number nine, Tigers and Bears, oh my, is in this race and did stalk last time at a Remington Park at five furlongs. But that just seemed like, a, and that was not to mention coming back a pretty quick three weeks. Um, but coming out of this race, I mean, this horse improved, improved from a zero to a 10. And this horse decreased from a 50, an upturned brim decreased from 55 to a 50. So that, that maiden race didn't necessarily come up very tough, at least by the looks of it right now. Could win if he gets the pace set up, but I think it. I think the number four, Good Leg Magic, is a more talented horse, and it could just be between the number four and the number eight. I'm going number. I'm going four eight three. Charlie's also going four eight three. Patrick's going eight three four, and Noah's going three four eight. And Pat and Howard, I completely agree with you, man. We'll get to this later, which is going to be a talking point. It's all you know. What is the five and the six doing in this race? It's the same trainer. Um, Eric Snodgrass. And again, this is no, you know, we're not throwing shade directly or anything like that, but both these horses were in the same race and finished by 29 lengths back and 29 and three quarters lengths back respectively. And now gets thrown into a listed two-year-old stake. And I understand purse and everything like that, but I mean, it's, it just does not seem like the, the spot. works are really bad it too. Is... 105 for five furlongs, 53 for four. Yeah. Are they just going to go stroll and say hi to the crowd? Like an, they're going to be in the next race. Not to mention, this race, is an interesting work tab for Wreck It. You know, we worked September 12th at Will Rogers Downs at, and then worked at September 16th again at Remington Park. And now in five, in a week's time, he's going to run in the race. I just, I don't know. It's, I mean, I get that, you know, you want to be in these races and you want to, you know, show that you can be in these races, but. I mean, if you run these races and run well, then, you know, kudos to you. Maybe you just knew something about the horse that everyone else didn't. But if they run back by, again, 40 lengths, that's the one, that's the question. And you're like, you know, why? But again, if they run well, then so be it. But I'm not going to be playing any of these horses, including with the one later in social <laughs> events. Charles B., you're one of my favorites, man. You're hilarious. Uh, either way. We all have the same top three, and we'll be moving on pretty quick here. Going to race number seven, guys. It is the uh, CT Ricks Memorial Stakes going a mile and a 16th on the turf for three-year-olds, three, for Phillies and Mares, three years old and up. Draws a full field of 10 in this spot. And as I switch over the picks right now, two of us are going with the most likely morning line favor, favorite in juncture, Pratt Cox again. Most likely to take a, a hell of a, a hell of a bunch of money as Noah touched on earlier, but Noah, you're going to be. Uh, did you go first last time or did Patrick? I don't. Yeah, remember. I went first. You went first, so Patrick, you're going to be first this time. And considering you're also going with a horse who I thought was very interesting, who I've been second. The guys, um, the other guys have nowhere. The number ten Tipsy Gal for Carl Broberg looks. I thought I thought she was really interesting in this spot. Yeah, I mean, listen. The horse is, you know, obviously stretching out in distance in this spot um, after running uh, two seven and a half uh, furlong races. 
Um, I, I just look at this distance. I like this stretch out here because I, I think with a pace that is questionable, um, I think the idea here is going to be this horse wants to go to the lead. And I think if this horse can get it, um, could take them all the way. And uh, this horse is going to be a price. Um, you know, I, I get the six-year-old, you know, you wonder if it can get back to the, one of those 80 buyer races that it's run. Um, but in this spot with, you know, facing similar uh, horses in previous races, I, I think th this horse should get the lead in a, um, in a spot, like I said, with a wide open pace. Yeah. And then he puts in a, uh, Charles V puts in a good comment here off pace, early speed. It's pretty equal. So the track plays pretty fair. Yeah. And, I agree with you, Patrick, and obviously I'll let you touch on the two that you have underneath as well. Um, you'll get first crack at juncture, but Tipsy Gal just, I mean, like from a pace scenario, which you said was questionable at best, I agree with you. She ran well at Lone Star at a mile and a 16th, running her top buyer. I mean, I know it's probably not, and she has just has the tendency to fade, but out of, out of a pace that's going to be questionable, I don't understand why she can't just stay for second or third if horses are just better than her. But there is a lot of different ways you can go. But go ahead, finish up your comments, and then I'll move on to uh, I'll move on to Charlie. Yeah, with Juncture, uh, who's going to be the he heavy favorite, I would think. Um, listen, th this horse, if it, if this horse, if this pace sets up to be fast, this horse should win going away. Um, and it just scares me as a favorite like this. I'm not a big fan of betting on favorites that are going to be coming from off the pace when I just don't know what it, what the pace is going to be like. Um, but, you know, I know you said you've been following this horse a lot, Kyle. So, you know, Juncture, you know, is a quality horse, has run 480 buyers since being in the States and has faced tougher competition. Um, and then the eight, uh, that is uh, fam uh, family time. Yeah. Um, this horse has approved, um, should be forwardly placed, comes out of the same two races, um, as, uh, the horse I have on top. Um, and I just think this horse is right in the mix with all the other ones. Um, you know, in a pretty fun race, in my opinion, if the favorite doesn't, uh, doesn't run big. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways, especially if you don't like, um, you don't necessarily trust the favorite on the inside, which, uh, she has been proven to be hard to trust since coming over to the States, but a little bit of, um, highlight into my argument here that I'll give later. This is by far the easiest spot that she's had yeah. in time over the States. But um, Noah, I'll actually let you go second since, Charlie, we have the same top pick again here. Uh, the number nine, uh, Noah, you have in, in, in first. I have in third the number nine Templar Red for Carl Craddock. I mean, ran her best race last time out, and I think she could get a very similar trip again here. Yeah, I, I feel like on this show, we like to talk about, you know, how the six-year-olds, you know, aren't aren't as good as they used to be. Um, you could kind of make the case that this six-year-old is still improving. I mean, yeah. if you go back to the the first two turf races, she won with a 16 and 69, and then, then comes back in June is winning with an 81, 82. And then with those, those two races kind of in the middle, I think she was too far back, and I kind of give her some excuses. Um, but I, I just wasn't – super sold on juncture. I just feel like with juncture, she's either going to win going away or she's not going to run at all. Um, so I, so I just kind of wanted to go with some local connections and these connections have, have been crushing it here. I mean, they're 31% for the year. That's insane. Um, and then in third, I, I agreed a little bit with Charles, Charles B. I, I was interested in the back numbers on Island, on Island hideaway. I mean, she won this race last year. She's run multiple eighties. 
I mean, that was about a year ago today. Um, I just don't know if she can run back to that. Um, another Broberg and Torres uh, connection. Um, she's the the do the notch that I give to her is that she's been very successful to track, so maybe that will kind of get her back to her senses. I mean, the very the very interesting thing here, right, is obviously she's run extremely well at Remington Park. She's five for six in the money, three for six on the win end, um, and picks up Christian Torres. Obviously, Christian could have gone to the other Broberg in this spot, which is the horse that we find interesting on the outside, Patrick, number 10. But I just don't, you know, comes comes to a time when these mares get old enough and she's turned six now. I just don't know if Island Hideaway is good enough, to, as good as she was previously. Those those 80s last year, Remington would definitely be good enough to win in a spot like this. But coming back that she's ran kind of just, she ran a 66, two back, two back-to-back, or two 75s. I mean, she can definitely win in this spot, especially since if you play the horse for course angle at Remington Park. But um, I just don't know if she's frankly is good enough. But can Island Hideaway win? Absolutely, she can win. She just has to run back to what she did last year at this time at Remington Park, but could definitely win, like I said. So, uh, Charlie, I'll let you touch on now. Juncture, number one, Pratt, Cox. I mean, just running in very tough spots behind Via Reggio. Um, justify my love, Henrietta Topham, lovely princess, bipartisanship. I mean, just this is this is a kind of a running line. You know, we talk about this all the time with the running line angle facing the horses, and you know, it gets we talk about it so much it gets kind of annoying to talk about every time. But this has to be talked about, and this is definitely Juncture's easiest spot since coming to the states by far. Oh, not even. I mean, this is a very weak field. Weak field in terms of the fact that it's an exciting field for this race. Absolutely, it's probably my guess would be one of the strong, like a, a, you know, a pretty middle pack to strong field for this race. But I think Juncture is too good for this spot. I feel like not that the horse has been bad enough to say, oh, this is a must win, but certainly for a horse that continuously gets bet down, this is a significantly easier spot. Gets Flavian Pratt has the connections, and I feel like the reality is. Whenever you're seeing that Brad Cox 5 and Pratt connection, this is not somewhere he rides. He doesn't go to Remington Park. So the fact that you're bringing these kind of horses over with this jockey combination feels like these are consistently must-win spots for those horses. Um, the one thing I do like is the fact that the horse was able to find a way to win as a closer, even in a slow pace. Uh, so yeah. that kind of tells me that, you know, it doesn't matter what the pace is, this horse should run. Uh, and as well as also an angle we've kind of talked about before, when a horse kind of shows like a repeat figure, could be, you know, primed for that step forward, which I feel like is going to happen here. I like the fact that, you know, after that layoff from not that May to July is massive, but nonetheless, you know, coming into like that summertime now and then in August is kind of sticking with that pattern, but hasn't shown any sort of loss of touch. I think any sort of figure in the mid 80s is good enough to win in this race. Uh, I think yeah. you've certainly got at least four or five horses in this field that have to go. Uh, so I like Juncture. Uh, and then it was kind of touched on by Racing Downwind, who's one of our definitely one of our best viewers, uh, about how the four and ten have to go. And that's why I put the four in, uh, in second. Is I kind of feel like an angle I like to take a lot is look for a horse that's going to be up front to counter the horse that you like if it's a closer. And kind of the idea of, okay, if the speed gets away, this is the one I like. And if the closer gets there in time, then that's what I like. Uh, and what I like about the four, you know, sticking with um, – I'm not, I'm not going to – I don't know who the jockey is, but I've seen El, uh, Elliot has – ridden a lot of these horses before and has had successful trips. Uh, so the fact that he's chosen to go on Medela uh, March kind of to me uh, tells me that this is obviously the horse he has the most confidence in, uh, you know, was bet down heavily after a little bit of a layoff 
uh, down to 50 cents. So clearly the, you know, the betting market believed in this horse coming back. Uh, and I do like the fact that this horse has kind of shown the ability to be right up on paces and then just get away, you know, not fade, not be kind of stuck in a grindy out battle gets away. So I do think the four could be dangerous at a much more reasonable price and has shown good figures. Uh, and then with the nine, uh, I mean, Noah kind of already touched on everything I wanted to say about the nine. Uh, so I won't really add much, but yeah, just, I've got another horse that looks game here. And I think the main issue with the nine uh, in terms of the one in the 16th race, obviously aside from the competition level, I just think they had this horse too far back. It looked like with Templar Red, they finally found something with this horse, which is Templar Red needs to sit right off the speed. Just sit a couple lengths off and then go. And the problem is in that race with six lengths off the lead right away, the horse just didn't have a chance. That's not the horse's race. Yeah, which I do agree with you, just tactic standpoint. Um, I think they found something good with Templar Red, which is why I have her in third. With Juncture, guys, this is my thing. I still stand by the fact this that was the day where I was at Indianapolis. I, I was all over her that day, which she got put down to the favor, which of course she did because I played her, so I only play favorites. So um, she had to be bet down to the favorite, but she should have won that race. She was on the inside. Marcelino will give her a great ride, just had absolutely no room and got shut off at about the quarter pole and just had to re rally and she just didn't have it in her. That's the only race in the last in her top in her four in the states where she's dropped lengths coming into the stretch. She's always coming with her run, no matter if it's a hot pace, cold pace, doesn't matter. My biggest thing is that this is a significantly easier spot. She's already showed that she can close into a cold pace on an easier spot there at Lone Star Park. She comes down to Remington, which is about that same competition level as Lone Star Park, as you get a lot of the same horses coming from that meet over to this meet. I just think Juncture could run really big here, and even if she is far back, I still think that she can really profit off of any type of pace whatsoever in this type of spot. And maybe she is just the best. I think Cox will have her ready, but it's just a matter of um, if she's going to be too far back come the quarter pole. And like I said, she'll always come with her run, but we don't know if it will be um, good enough. But. I'm going 110.9. Charlie's going 149. Patrick's going 10.18. And Noah's going 9.17. And obviously, keep an eye on the value with Juncture. Three to five on the on the win end is something I would never play in a horse like this. But you might be able to get some value in doubles and different types of bets. So try to if you like Juncture a lot, try to find it in those types of pools. But the win end might not be your best bet on a horse that is going to be way bet down, especially probably from a morning line, even from a morning line of eight to five, you know, it'll be bet down probably at least even money, but moving on to race number eight guys here, it is the David Vance stakes going six furlongs on the dirt for three-year-olds and up draws another field of nine with the morning line favorite. Most likely I would assume the number seven Albizu for Christian Torres and Robertino Diodoro. Um, this he just looks like the one that's going to be most ready in this spot. And as I switch over right now, um, funny enough, we all have the number seven Albizu in this spot. So guys, we're either going to be extremely right or extremely wrong in this spot. And I, and I really hope it's extremely right because I really like this horse. Um, Charlie, you are up first, my friend, you get to get the first crack at it. Why do you, what do you like the most about Albizu? I mean, look, the figures obviously fit. Linking back up with Torres is obviously a plus. Uh, and honestly, Albizu's just been running uh, consistent races. I mean, again, you look at the figures after those mid-80s, which are nothing to you know be upset about, but then gets a 97, 97, 95. 
Another thing we've talked about is, again, versatility, the ability to do it at different paces. Has normally been at, I'd say, medium to hotter paces, but even in that cold pace was right in and around there. Ran in fields that are probably going to be tougher than this one by a decent margin. Uh, and again, I just like the aspect that this horse has shown the ability to, you know, be way back and then close in and get the lead, get the win or sit a few lengths off the lead and then go by for the win. So I just like that Torres has plenty of options with this horse in terms of where to put up uh, Albizu. And again, it's just proven time and time again to always at least be somewhere in and around the money in tougher fields. So I think in this spot certainly has to be the horse to beat. Uh, then second, I went with Dean's List. A little surprised to see no one else has this horse. Uh, now, granted, didn't really run a great race last time out. Flattened out, was bet down to favoritism against some of these horses in this field. Uh, but I'm just trusting that the horse can get, you know, back on track. The, the workouts, to me, I really like to see that in that recent workout ran a minute flat. Uh, to me, at least shows that maybe the horse is kind of back to working sharp and could certainly uh, do well in the spot again compared to some of the other races. This horse has been running against Albizu a lot and hasn't quite gotten the job done, but it still ran very comparatively in those tougher fields. So I just think from a, you know, competition standpoint, strength of schedule, Dean's list certainly fits in this spot to be competitive. Um, and I believe I had the five and third. Is that right? I, I don't do some of your picks, man. What do you got? Yeah. yeah I believe it was stayed in, <laughs> stayed in for half. half. Uh, it's just going to send. I mean, the yeah. horse is just going to send. Uh, obviously, hasn't shown the ability when running against horses like Albazu to actually get the job done. But I just think the horse will be in and around somewhere. Going to be interesting to have Joel Rosario on. Uh, not the most aggressive jockey for a horse that needs to be aggressive. Uh, but, you know, if Joel gets the job done with this horse. It certainly wouldn't surprise me. This horse will be the one that gets on the lead. The question is, can the horse hold up? I don't know what the distance if it can. I, lo I love the... In fact, I mean, if you want an if you want a rider that knows how to ride on the front end, Joel is definitely a guy that you want. Obviously, to picks up the ride for Asmussen and Stone Street connections. Just you know, alone, this horse will be bet down a little bit, but uh, really is trending forward and could definitely be there. I have this horse in second, and I think if the pace held, holds together, the one I want from the top flight is stayed in for half, but. Noah, I'm not. I'm assuming I don't know where he went. I'm assuming he'll be back here shortly, just having a little bit of issues. So I apologize. But Patrick, I'll let you talk about your. Um, you can touch on anything that was missed about Albizu, and then go into um, your next two, which is obviously stayed in for half and um, Amos Moses Hart. Who talk about? <laughs> do I talk about a horse that it could be polarizing? That's one of them. Um, yes, very much so. Um, listen, Albizu, um, I, I just think this horse is going to get the setup. I'm not going to say anything else that Charlie, you know, Charlie hit on a lot of it. Um, and he has faced, you know, tougher competition. So, you know, this is one of the easier spots I would say for this horse. Um, and I do like this horse a lot. And then, uh, you know, the four, um, listen, <laughs> it, it, this is interesting. I mean, a, a horse coming out of Remington Park getting a 95 buyer I mean, speed figure. We can no. just show it because this, this, I want, you know, people can watch this for what it is. But I mean, this horse got a 95 buyer, one by 16 and a half, widening lengths, might I add. And you can guess which which horse uh, he is. But go ahead, Patrick. Oh, it's number finish 10. Your, finish your, uh, yeah, he's out here. No, he's the um, six out in front. You know, I, I will say, like, you know, at the beginning of that race, coming out of the gate, when that horse makes the lead, the horse does look visually appealing. Just looks bigger and stronger than the other horses, in my opinion. Um, so it has that going for him with the visual. Um, but uh, I mean, it's hard to believe that this horse yeah. is going to run back to that. 
I, I mean, I'm going to have the horse on my tickets, but um, it's, this is a tough, tough horse to uh, to have. And I, I, you got to watch the board here to see if this horse is going to be bet. Um, but this is yeah. really, really interesting. Well, I'll tell you what. It is, it is a oh – I'll tell you what. The Most likely, whenever I say this, it might be the kiss of death, but most likely this horse is not going to have that easy of a lead, will yeah. not be alone on the lead. And if he can burst away from a 95, that's when I'll start believing. But um, for one, like for a horse like Amos Moses Hart, like I said, five to two, if you got five to two, if you played him last time, that's a gift and a half in that race. But this race is much, much tougher. And again, if he could easily, he could run back to it for sure. But for a horse that's going to take a little bit more, take a lot more pressure than he did and a lot more competition, um, it will definitely be interesting to see how a horse like Amos Moses Hart reacts, but not to mention this horse debuted as a four-year-old. That's, um, that's, yeah, that's another great point. He didn't, you know, you know, a lot of these horses have been ready. Yeah. He's had one race at four and now he's going to jump up into a race like this, which is definitely the most logical play. It's definitely the most logical play. I mean, the, it's based on timing. So it's not necessarily that the, it's inflated. I mean, he won by 16 and a half. And by the way, if you want to take a look at a discrep at a, this, uh, 95 to a 48 buyer so that you know, I, I, I don't, the second horse sense. got half of what i mean he won by 16 and he won by half the whole no, I know, but like, what do you saying, want but like the, well the problem i'm having is even from a timing perspective right so it says it was five and a half in what a minute uh minute three 3.3 but then stayed in half runs oh i guess stayed in half got a 94 for that but i swear somebody else got like in the low 80s and still ran a faster time i don't know maybe it is true i just it, it's hard for a remington park race and as you mentioned again a but it's also for, to like yeah. think the horse freaked like that well and again you're right no one, i mean like pep said the horse looked incredible off the replay but i mean like you had horses like the 10 in that race like there were some bad horses that horse was running against and had no competition within a few seconds and i, I don't know i feel like it's just a tough race to really know like you mentioned it's a four-year-old debut and i want to put this horse on the ticket but i feel like this horse is going to get hammered down and is either going to get lucky enough to freak or not the work scared me also with a 54 and 4 for four mate, for it's just, that's just a that. maintenance work after that you know if after that i mean yeah, did the horse that. did the horse race there i mean did it was it a paid workout i think maybe you know it's just he's just coming back out and working but i agree with you charlie in the fact that um He's definitely, I mean, it's not going to be a paid workout this time. He's going to have to work for the lead. He's going to have to show it again. And again, could easily run back to that, but it's just a matter of, is he good enough to be able to compete with horses like this? And if he is, then so be it. But I'm willing to take one more against this horse. But Noah, I'll let you touch on real quick here. Um, or Patrick, you do you want to touch anything about state and half or do you want to move on? No, we're good. Uh, th listen, that horse, I'm hoping if the, the four is as fast as, it looks the, the five will stay right with them to, you know, muster up that pace. Don't disagree with you. And like I said, you know, the one fours never faced the competition. So I'd be much rather inclined to take the number five. It looks like he's finally improving at age four coming. Now this is fourth off the layoff second, third on the dirt where he's only been improving ever since he debuted at four, but no, I'll let you touch on. We touched on the seven Albizu a lot. You can add anything that you found extremely interesting. If not, you can feel free to talk about your other three. Other yeah, two. that college Wi-Fi, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the UK, um, you know, living in the middle, you know, yeah. middle of Lexington. I don't think you get fiber out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, Albizu, pretty logical. Uh, in the second spot, I am actually really interested in, in American experiment. Um, I know a lot of attention is going to go to the other Asmussen with Rosario getting on. 
Um, but I got a, I got at least a lot of reasons why I definitely do not like this horse. Number one, you probably guys probably already touched on it, but it was part of a really slow pace last time. And I just feel like there are multiple horses that are much faster than this horse. So I, I don't really see the horse getting the trip. Number two, that race was 10 times better than his last buyer. So from a trust standpoint, I'm going to have to see it again. And then uh, third point, you could say the horse was improving. I think that's complete bull. Uh, first race of the year was on turf. Second race was supposed to be against turf horses and ended up winning. Um, and then the third, you obviously know. Um, so I I lean more toward the other Asmussen. Um, I just think this horse is ultra consistent. Um, and the figures in the last four are really not that far off. I, I feel like probably a, a high 80 or a low 90 will probably get it done. So if this horse runs back to that 87, this horse is going to be three, four times the price of the other Asmussen. And I'm I'm thinking he'll be able to run him in the top, th top three and I'll get huge value. Well, I'll tell you what, this is going to be one of those horses that's going to be riding behind a horse like Amos Moses Hart and Staten for Half. The thing I liked about Staten for Half is he doesn't necessarily need the lead by any means. You can see, granted, it was against, as Noah pointed out, off the tur uh, turf horses, but... Just the fact of the matter that he's he has the ability to rate, I think, is always good for these speed horses. That if they don't get the lead, it's not necessarily the end of the world. So Staten for half is definitely interesting to me. But I can definitely see your point with American Experiment, who was almost who was actually on. I have him in third, so I also think he's very interesting. I actually I'm going, you know, Albizu, Asmussen, Asmussen. So it's nothing very creative, but I think these three have the most upside and definitely the most. Um, consistency and ability to be in the money. So those are the three I went with. Albizu is the one thing I'll touch on before we move on is pretty simple. It's just, this is the fresh face, even though coming in from Lone Star Prairie Meadows, losing the horses like Strobe, Ultimate Skelly. I mean, just the running line angle again, it's just a matter of he's running against very nice horses. Uh, Diodoro ships him down here, picks up Torres as he has had basically his main rider ever since he, Started up his campaign late 2022, so I'm very interested in number seven, Albizu, and he'll definitely be a big turning point for the day around all of my tickets. I'm going 7-5-3, Charlie's going 7-1-5, Patrick's going 7-4-5, Noah's going 7-3-4. Guys, real quick here, we're going to go pretty quick, but Remington Park Oaks, the penultimate race on the card, uh, grade three for $200,000 going a mile and a 16th for three old fillies, of course, full a field of eight. The morning line favorite, again, these morning lines were drawn. The number two, Merlaza, Pratt, Cox, of course. Second choice is the number pretty close. The number eight, Ancient Peace for Rafael Bejarano and Brian Lynch, who picked up the training job not too many races ago, and this Phillies just flourished. And I'll switch over the picks right now. Uh, Noah, you're up first in this race, my friend. And you are going with – it's actually – I'm going with Ancient Peace. Two people are going with Merlaza, and Patrick is – the actually i'll let patrick go first noah since he's the outlier here so noah i mean patrick you get to talk about why you like most about honor d lady who actually none of us have anywhere and patrick has on top yeah listen you guys tell me why i, I should have merlaza and ancient peace on top and i'll tell you why honor d lady should be on all your tickets no uh listen um we talked about it at, uh before we got on 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 uh, on the show um I don't understand why this horse ran in the Saratoga Oaks. You know, we were there. Um, <laughs> that was an interesting race, to say the least, with the weather. It was just bizarre. Um, 
uh, in that race, honestly, the horse had excuses too. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that happened in that race, but I'm, I'm completely tossing that race based on, you know, the surface and stuff. This horse has shown uh, to be talented on the tapita, um, which they say traditionally is more, you know, accustomed to turf. I just think, you know, Zach Joseph, he's an interesting trainer where, you know, he likes to pick spots, soft spots for horses. And I think in this spot, Honor D. Lady, who I believe is a talented horse and has been training well, um, you know, should should set up to be, you know, coming from off the pace in a spot where, um, you know, Merlaza has been, you know, on – a bit of a layoff and is now stretching back out in distance after going the seven furlongs. I, I just think that, you know, the honor D lady is going to be a big price in uh, a horse that fits buyer speed figure wise, if it can translate from the tapita. Well, yeah, it definitely fits based on that. Obviously you could see the one dirt race lost by 14 and a half to infinite diamond. Who's not a bad horse in her own right, but it's just a matter of this horse's only wins come on the tapita and the go and the Gulfstream turf, which not in their peak season, might I add. It's kind of their this was yep. the fall meet at Gulfstream. This is the, the summer meet at Gulfstream. Beat a nice horse in Ocean Club for sure, but that was on the turf. I don't know how it's going to translate to dirt. Obviously, AP Indy, Honor Code blame the short this horse's bread to take to the dirt has been working well on the dirt at Saratoga. I mean, this horse looks like it should take it should take to the dirt and should be de- a decent setup, but. I don't know if I trust a horse like Honor D Lady when I can go different ways. Noah, I'm going to go to you here. The number two, Merlaza, looks to be the pretty decent morning line favorite and will most likely be a pretty decent favorite at post time. This is a horse, another horse that I've chased many, many times. Um, you know, going back to the Black Eyed Susan and the Indiana Oaks, of course, when I was there. Um, she looks the classiest, looks the most. Um, Running against easily the best horses in this race, but she hasn't. She's she hasn't won since early April or mid April. Yeah, I when I first looked at this race, I kind of had knocks against everybody from from a betting perspective. I didn't really like the race at all. Um, but the thing that kind of tipped me toward Merlaza was just looking at who everybody else has faced and who she's faced. I mean, you think about the best three year old fillies that have that have run this year. I mean. Taxed, who's your filly, defining purpose. Um, Positano Sunset's not a bad horse. Um, so for me, it, it's not super creative, but I just felt like she was the most classy. Um, and then yep. I went with the one in second, which I thought was a little bit of a flyer. I just, for some reason, I, I am not all ultra confident in this eight. I feel like if the eight was really what she was, she would be in a much, a much tougher spot. I just, this is a weird spot for me. So I, I just, if the eight's not as fast as she used to be, I just feel like the one could get pretty brave on the lead. And it's yep. not like the, the horse is super slow on figs, just been running against, you know, not as good a company. Um, but then again, you, you I like to kind of look at these uh, local connections and see what they can do up against the big boys. No, I mean, absolutely. And if she gets the lead from the inside, uh, Empire uh, Racing Downwind brings a very good point here. Is, you know, keep an eye out of the track because playing all these big favorites are all coming from the back, both on the turf and on the dirt. So keep your eye on Remington these next few days to see how the track's playing. And of course, early in the card this day, because if you're playing the late pick five, you're going to want to see if there's you know a lot of horses coming from the front or the, the track is playing pretty fair to where horses can come from the back. That's just something you want want to keep in mind. Thanks, Racing Downwind, for that comment. But um, Charlie, 
me and you are not too creative in this spot. We both, we all both, we have the two five eight here. Nomadic Pride, who I thought was a little <laughs> interesting, who we both have underneath, but uh, the number eight um, is who I have on top. But I'll let you talk about anything with Merlaza first, then you can run through your picks. Yeah, I think honestly, no one I had the same kind of view. He just chose the one, I chose the five. I honestly just, it was again, kind of just one of those things you know, you learn in school, kind of sometimes you don't know what the right answer is. So you kind of cross off the ones you know that are wrong. That's why for me, I also don't think this is a great race to bet on. However, I kind of just figured the two and eight were probably, because I mean, obviously we didn't know the lines at the time, but I figured the two and eight would get all the money on them. So you kind of just have to pick one of them and then look for, you know, some sort of price to be creative and then throw the other one in there rather than, you know, go chalk chalk in a race like this. Although, you know, some people still find a way to go chalk chalk, not going to name names. Uh, so yeah, Merlaz is the classiest, ran against the best competition of anyone. Definitely one of the easier spots Merlaza has been in. I think in those races that Merlaza has won, uh, this is more what she's used to. So I think also from a pace perspective, we'll kind of get that first jump on the speed. We'll just sit, you know, two, three, four lengths off the lead and then make that first move, which I do like as opposed to some of these other horses. Uh, with Normatic Pride, the horse kind of just freaked. Uh, and I just was like, you know what, maybe the horse can show that again. Uh, you know, had been dealing with like a sloppy track before, tried turf. Uh, then was on the big layoff. So then, you know, finally gets a, a regular dirt track race after the layoff, the first race of that kind, and just absolutely freaks. So for me, that is a, a big plus. I'm guessing that's what you kind of saw as well. As you know, first time getting those kind of conditions off the layoff runs a much better figure. And um, clearly the public thought that too, getting yeah. bet down from 61 to 1 to now 13 to 1. And then the 8, yeah, I just don't know. The horse might fade. The horse could do well, but I'm not banking on a horse where there's other horses that will also go in this race. I don't think the distance is going to be a good thing. I think it's too far. Uh, and I'm just not going to take five to two odds on that order. Well, I'll tell you what. I actually love the five to two prize, and Howard needs to stop stealing my thunder because he's taking my two two of my points that I like most about Ancient Peace, who I have on top. Merlaza has just been pretty like disappointing to me. Like I said, I I loved her in the Indiana Oaks. I liked her in the Black Eyed Susan, and then I didn't play. I played her last time at Ellis too, and just disappointment. It just never never. She seems to be in the right position always, and she can never just kick home. Obviously, this is an easier spot, but at a horse that's most likely going to be near even money come post time, I'm inclined to look other ways. And the number eight, Ancient Peace, who Brian Lynch uh, takes over the training job for John Sadler, brings to Remington Park, working fantastic at Churchill. And Howard pointed out in the chat here, love the seven furlong breeze two back. I love this. I love this work. It gets her to go a little bit longer. Obviously, this is a mile and a 16th. She ran that last time out but it just gets her more fit for these longer distance races. Then comes back with a drill at five furlongs going 59 and three, which again is another bullet to pair with her September 2nd work. She's working extremely forwardly looks to be um, in a very good position to be either um, on the lead or just off uh, the number one on the inside there. If they can avoid a speed duel, which again, Howard points out again, naturally, she can avoid a speed duel with the number one. I think the number eight ancient piece is extremely interesting. And I think with the Merlaza in this race, you will get that five to two price unless everyone else on the outside, um, on the outside looking in is bet uh, is not bet at all. And it's just kind of a six to five, two to one type of thing. But I love ancient piece. And I think, like I said, if she can get into a decent position at all, I think she's extremely interesting on the outside she can't trust the finish that is a completely true charles but it's just a matter of you know in a race like the summer oaks 
compared to the you know the Remington Park Oaks and in a place like this where there's only two clear speed, I think she could be very interesting. And I don't think they're going to go 46 and three to the half mile. If they do, then that's just kind of so be it. But um, I really like Ancient Peace if she can get a good spot. I'm going eight two five. Charlie's going two five eight. Petra's going four two eight. Noah's going two. One eight guys to the last race, which is of course the feature on the card, the last race of the pick five, the grade three Oklahoma Derby going a mile and an eighth for three-year-old boys or three-year-olds, excuse me, could be girls, but they're (laughs) all uh, on the dirt draws a full field of 13 for $400,000. The morning light favorite is all the way on the outside in the 13 hole uh, hit show for Flavian Pratt, Brad Cox, the second choice is the late running red route one for Joel Rosario and Steve Asmussen. And the third choice is to the inside, the number three raised cane for Ben Colebrook, Colebrook and nobody. Apparently he's just riding himself. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, they don't know who the jockey is. Obviously that'll be announced as we get later in the week, but um, I'm going to switch over the picks right now. And I'll tell you what, these picks are pretty interesting guys, because I thought, I really thought that I was going to have, uh, an oddball out there that no one was going to have him. And I saved this until now, Patrick, you son of a bitch, <laughs> but he's and Noah has the horse in second too. Um, we both have the number four Cagliostro mm-hmm. in first for Christian Torres and Cherie DeVoe, who's been on fire recently. If you haven't been keeping up, she's having a great year. Um, Charlie is going with hit show and Noah is going at the number two who I had on top and changed like probably two hours before the show. Uh, easily the best name in the race, Tumba Rumba, but um, which I will let Mr. Tumba Rumba go first. Noah, you get to explain yourself first. What you, what you like most about Tumba Rumba. Yeah. Tumba Rumba for me was one of the most honest horses I think I've seen on paper. I mean, he is just absolutely tough as nails. You go back to that seven furlong Keeneland race, he got into an absolute duel with Scotland and did not give an inch and ended up winning that fight. Um, and then goes to Churchill, does the same thing. He's seen the comments. He was tenacious. Um, and then I, I kind of – I am tending to toss that race in the slot. You probably didn't like that. Um, and then showed an ability to kind of sit off and close last time. Um, and I feel like in all three of those wins, there's kind of been a question, you know, uh, could he beat a heavy favorite uh, in the Keeneland race? Then at Churchill, could he beat uh, non-winners of two? And then when you go to Ellis, he had the disadvantage of being on the inside and uh, trying to close into that speed favoring Ellis track. Um, I think the question today is if he can get the mile and eighth, and if he's done what he can do before, I think he's going to answer that question and get it done. Took words out of my mouth, my man. And no one else has this horse, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about my points as well. These two races early in 2023, they said beat Scotland by a nose, but again, still either way. And he was bumped and hurted in that race. You can see it in the notes. Uh, we're not gonna watch the replay. If you do go, if you want to, please go walk back and watch that yourselves. But that was a very gutsy effort from Tom Barumba. Comes back at Churchill at six and a half, even shorter. And still gets up, beats Damon's Mound and Determinately, who are two very nice horses in their own right. Then goes to the Maxfield and the slop. Toss out for me. Horses didn't like the slop at all. Just really was trying, was really pushed ahead by Sias and just would never, never really had any say at all. Then comes back in the Ellis Park Derby going a mile. Stalks really well. Does get a very nice trip, but just bolts down the stretch. 
beating Transect, who's also a nice horse in his own right, now coming over, going, getting a mile and an eighth, will be the first two-turn race that this horse is running in, except for the turf races. Um, I don't think he'll have any. I don't think not, any trouble is not um, not quoting me correctly, but I don't think I don't think he'll have much trouble covering the mile and an eighth. It's just a matter of to me, are there going to be other horses in the race that are going to be better than him? Which could be the case, but I really like the for, um, the forward movement of the speed figures and could be set up for a big one here, especially with that six furlong breeze that Brian Lynch same type of move right that we talked about in the last race. Um, Tumbarumbo gets that same type of long winded workout. So Tumbarumbo is something I'm someone I'm very interested in. Patrick, um, you'll go actually you'll go last because I obviously I have the horse on top as well. Charlie, you'll get first crack at hit show here. Obviously, the most classy horse in the field running the last five races have been all either derby preps, triple crown races, or a very obviously um one of the top three old races in the nation in the Jim Dandy, losing to a horse maybe people know as Forte. Um, Archangelo Mage, obviously that's something you're going to be talking about as well, but easily the most classy field, uh, horse in the field. Yeah. I pulled my best Kyle impression going three chalks in a row. Not, not proud of it. Not my proudest yeah, effort. My impression. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I should go back and see um, how many freaking chalks Charlie has. I think it's at least four, but anyway, but yeah, you know, ran against my horse that will always run dear in my heart for calling this horse out the greatest horse of all time. Mage. I uh, also ran against our, you know, two fills, one since angel right? of them. Yeah, I don't want. Hey, you won the most important race that matters. All hey, you won the Super Bowl horse race. Hey, they trained. They trained up for the Travers style. Come on, they did. They did prep for the Travers. My bad. Anyway, continue. Uh, but then yeah, ran against ran against Archangelo, ran against Forte, uh, Saudi Crown, and Angel of Empire. I mean, these are all a bunch of horses where if they were in this spot, you know, would probably be you know nine to five or lower. Uh, so I get it though because the horse hasn't beaten them, so you do have to respect that. But I just like the fact that you know for Hit Show he can has shown that versatility again, has shown some races where, you know, it's three, four lengths off the lead and moves up. Well, we'll probably, I will say the gate is the only worry I have. It's the only thing I think that could hurt hit shown this race. Not ideal to be starting the 13 gate. Obviously you have to wait and see what scratches there are. Uh, but again, gets Pratt Cox. You can kind of tell a common theme of me sticking with them here. Uh, but yeah, I just love the figures and consistency. I mean, it's been running against the best horses in the world and the best races in the, in the U S and is now coming to this spot. So I certainly like that. I like the blinkers on as well. Help the horse focus in. Uh, and yeah, I was going to say, I think uh, Red Route 1, is, I'll go into my next, is a very interesting horse in this spot, kind of a polar opposite strategy, a horse that I haven't chased in the win category, but I have chased as an underneath horse, and it's just kind of unfortunately let me down. Uh, you know, I really thought there were multiple times where because of hot paces, the horse would close in for third. It just hasn't quite done that. Like the Preakness hurt me, had the horse I remember underneath in a few bets and got fourth when I had the horse uh, in third. Um, but still, you know, gets Joel Rosario for Asmussen. They've still run great races together and have some good figures. They've shown the ability and hotter paces to show up. So definitely a horse where if the pace is hot, Red Route 1 could absolutely freaking win this race. Uh, but that is my only, I guess, reserve of putting the horse on top is if it isn't a fast pace, this horse is in trouble, as you can see last time out when it was a colder pace. Um, and then with uh, Raising Cane, obviously gets a, at least initial huge advantage on the rest of the field, not having to carry the weight of a jockey. It's not, not, uh, not the chicken tenders, Raising Cane. Just Raise yeah. Cane. Raise cane. could sorry. go we, Raising Cane's sorry. right now. That's for we, sure. we will have to see if Raise Cane gets a jockey. Otherwise, I think this horse will be one to nine. I mean, not having to carry that much weight is just a tremendous advantage. Uh, but, yeah, assuming Raise Cane does get a jockey, which I am going to assume. We don't know who it is yet. Uh, maybe it'll be some you know WWE Royal Rumble thing where they just announce it right before the race. There you That'd go. Uh, but still, his run again, and in the Derby. Uh, I know it was kind of a, 
obviously way too far out of this horse's realm, but ran nicely in some great threes and hasn't quite gotten the job done. But again, just another horse from a class perspective, ran against Disarm, Bear Fine again, uh, as I mentioned, the Derby, Tappet Trice. Uh, so certainly a horse that has run against enough competition to be able to fit in the spot and get the job done. My reserve is honestly just the fact that last time out was bet down heavy and didn't really have an excuse. It just didn't, you know, perform well. But going back to those other efforts is certainly good enough to be competitive here. I mean, absolutely. The, watched him, I watched him almost win the Indiana Derby by verifying who obviously turned back and didn't look to his best. But I still think that horse is more of a sprinter. And if that's the only race he's run well since the Gotham, excuse me, I'm willing to play other ways, but definitely could be interesting underneath for sure in a race where there could be a decent early pace on. But um, Patrick, your turn, my friend. Cagliostro, this is a horse I found extremely interesting. Obviously ran very well at Churchill, goes to Nana Derby, just loses by one and three quarters, but had no room. I won't show the replay, but that's a good one to go watch back if you're going to watch one. And only three back to Il Maricolo, who's also racing in the Pennsylvania Derby as the Smarty Jones at Parks is, of course, the prep for the Pennsylvania Derby. But most, Patrick, what would you like most about Cagliostro? Yeah, you know, you hit on it two back uh, in the Indian Derby. You know, I, I love horses with excuses. You know, we talk about that a lot. Uh, horse has been training great. Uh, you know, Sherry De- DeVoe is a solid trainer, and I really like to stretch out to the mile and an eighth um, in this spot horse can be tactical um i prefer this horse to be closer to the lead in this spot um and i think you're going to get a fair price listen the horse has been you know anywhere from you know six to one down his last three starts um i do get a little scared seeing that the horse hasn't won you know last five races but has faced tougher you can make the case for obviously um but I think we're going to get a good price with a, you know, you hit on Christian Torres, solid jockey. I, I'm really excited to see how Cagliostro runs. Me too. I just love the tactical nature of Cagliostro. I think he's going to set a very nice trip just yeah. in behind the speed. I just, like I said, the mile added distance, I think, is not a hurt to this horse by any means. Hard spun, upstart, uh, uh, hard spun mare, upstart, uh, sire, I think. Cagliostro could benefit off the extra distance and the fact that he's been working so forwardly at Keeneland. Cherie DeVoe, who's hotter than anyone right now, points this horse out of the Pennsylvania Derby and into this race. I think this race was meditated, um, and I really think Cagliostro is going to run well with a very good um, with a very good trip. But yeah, absolutely, Howard, do not leave this show because there is a, there's a very heated debate going on between two of our co-hosts, as I mentioned before, with college football. So do not leave anywhere, as even if you don't care much about college football, you're going to want to see this argument, I'm sure. But um, I'm going 4-13-2. Charlie's going 13-10-3. Patrick's going 4-13-10. Noah's going 2-4-13. Guys, real quick here, we're going to go through our best bets, and then we'll move on to college football. But, Charlie, you're going to go first as I have you first on the um, on the banner here. Your best bet is a horse we didn't talk about, race number four, an exact a 3-7, and then race number six, a daily double, 4-8 with one. Charlie, talk about your best bets. Yeah, you know, always got to throw in a race that's not on the card to show everybody. I'm carefully looking through it. So, yeah, the three Sunlit Song, uh, again, picking up Elliot, who we've talked about, tends to ride a lot of the top horses here and do well. Has just shown great consistency and, again, versatility. Was Sat way off the – good amount off the pace last time out and nearly got there after normally being a horse that's closer up. Uh, so I love the versatility with this horse. Certainly some interesting works with the seven furlongs. Don't see that all day. 
but love the consistency on the figures in all the 90s. Uh, and then put it uh, in a box of Paloxy, who's also been running up to the 90s now. Uh, definitely a horse that's a little more pace dependent. So I would say, you know, the three is the one I'm a little more confident in getting the win done. But I just like the idea that I think that there is enough pace that the seven will close in and maybe not get to the three, but get in top two. Uh, and I just think with the way the race is set up, it's a two-horse race and you can get a nice uh, value. And then, uh, yeah, going into my double, uh, race six, we already talked about earlier, you and I, how much we like good like magic. And I think the trip should be perfect. But as you mentioned, maybe not the best horse in this race, but should get the best trip. In case, the in theory, who is the best horse general shipment wins, wanted to be covered. And then, yeah, for me, in the next race with Juncture, I just think Juncture has to win in this spot. We've talked about it before plenty of times in the show when horses are in must-win spots. I think Juncture has to win here. So doing the double with the top two contenders, which I know is your favorite bet, into a stone cold with the one uh, is the second bug. You're muted. It took a long time to get to strike one. Unlucky. Of yeah, I know. I had to go shut my door because um, the fiance, the beautiful fiance is coming home. So I don't want her to inter- to jump in and interrupt, but um, which that's a very good bet, Charlie. You might see uh, something along those lines later, but Pat, good luck with your best bets. Patrick, you're going race number six, a daily double eight with one ten, And then in race number eight, a pick three, four, seven with two, four with four thirteen. Go ahead. Talk about your best bets. Yeah. I'm, you know, keyed in on general shipment in a uh, race six. Um, and then, uh, you know, I like Tipsy Gal, the 10, who I think could be a bit of a price. Um, and then, uh, you know, Juncture in there. I prefer Juncture uh, doesn't win with a price payout, but I think that horse might be a, a good shot at a uh, at small odds. Um, then I'm going to play a pick three. Uh, I'm pretty much covering all the favorites in the final three races, but my thinking is, is I'm pairing them up with uh, longer shots. So, um, I mean, you know, you could play a, a bigger pick three with all the favorites and then go a little bit smaller. Um, you know, with some longer shots, but um, I, you know, I, I think this is a fun sequence where you have you could have mixed ideas. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and like I said, there's many different ways you can go, but definitely more likely winners than others. So if you if you get even one of those prices home, that could easily bump up that ticket, especially if you're playing it multiple times. So Patrick, good luck with your best bets. Noah, your best bets going through race number eight. You're talking about how you love much. You love the number three American experiment underneath, and that's going to be one of your best plays. And then a race 10, got to go with it, man. The win on number two, Tumba Rumba. Go ahead, Noah, talk about your best bets. Yeah, I have to bring up a story from a couple weeks ago about how I uh, I was with the boss at Kentucky Downs, and uh, I got to see firsthand one of his uh, famous uh, reverse key tries. So I'm going to try and do the same thing here with American Experiment. Um, that Asmussen is going to be a lot better price than the other Asmussen, so maybe I can get some bombs in first or second. Um, and then with Tumba Roomba, I, I think that's probably the most wide-open race on the card. So um, it'll just be interesting to have um, some kind of bet on a winner, um, but maybe could do doubles or pick threes into that horse to end the day. I mean, absolutely, and obviously he'll be a very nice price, so good luck with your best bets as well. And I'm going with mine. Race number six, Charlie you are a smart man, my friend. I'm going race number six, a double four, eight, and a one. Basically, exactly what he talked about. The race, uh, the number four in the sixth race, of course, is um, Good Like Magic. Excuse me, who's my top pick in that race? Consider a really nice talking trip with General Shipman because I could win on the lead. So either one of those, whether the pace breaks down or not, I think is definitely a winner. And in the, in race seven, Juncture just looks like the best horse in that race. Could close into hot pace, slow pace. I think uh, Juncture. It is. In my opinion, for that those connections, this you know it's a must-win spot. If the horse doesn't win, you know it's almost they don't. I'm not sure they'll um, where they'll go with the horse in the next 
spot. But Juncture looks the most classy and definitely is the most likely winner to me in that spot. So I'm going to go there. Race number eight, I'm singling the number seven, who we all liked on top, which is Albizu on top. Looks just the most consistent on speed figures and looks to take another step forward in that race. I'm going to pair him with number two, Merlaza, and the number eight, um, Ancient Peace. So two very similar bets with a decent favorite into two mid, you know, two decent favorites, but hopefully I can get anywhere from five, six to eight to one on those bets and being at a $20, $25 multiple could be very nice on the payout. But good luck to everybody else playing Remington Park this week as this is going to be the end of the horse racing part of this show. Thank you guys so much for joining in greatly. Obviously we couldn't do without you guys. So we greatly appreciate it. But again, don't go anywhere as we are going to have some very nice football talk. If you're at all interested, I would highly recommend staying around, especially for this college football segment. We were going to talk about the two best college football games of the week, which is of course, uh, which there's a lot of good college football games this week, guys. Um, Finally. Finally. Yeah, I know after everyone's been been crap uh, every week, I'm going to put up, uh, some good a good background here. One second, there we go. Can't really see it, but we're, at, we're now all of a sudden we've teleported to Circus Sportsbook, and now we're <laughs> gonna play some sports. So FSU at Clemson, guys. F- Florida State's um, favored by two and a half. Which I talked to, I messaged to Charlie. I was like, really, only two and a half they're favored by. Like I would have thought, obviously Clemson having that really bad loss could shake a lot of people towards Florida State's way, but I mean. There's and even on the ESPN match predictor, guys. I mean, there's still 43% of people going with Clemson in this uh game. And Charlie, of course, I'm gonna go to you and a lot first on a lot of these games. But Florida State's, of course, three and oh, the ranked number four in the country. Clemson with that bad loss is out of the rankings, but they're two and one. Um, very similar stats. If you go here, like total yards, passing, rushing. Yards allowed. Um, I mean, obviously, you see Florida State's numbers way higher than the Clemson defense, but realistically, I mean, Florida State's looked like the better team all along. Yeah, I mean, I'm tossing the last game. Look, it was the it was the red bandana game for Boston College. Very emotional game for them. They're always charged up for that one. The weather was terrible. Florida State was down four starters on their defense, and I think one or two on their offensive line. That can't happen if you expect a team to be at their best. Jordan Travis got popped in that game. I remember watching it. Uh, so for me, that's a, that game's a complete toss to me. There were some unlucky turnovers that are normally unforced that helped Boston College in that game. Realistically, Florida State, with everything going against them, could have and probably should have won that game by 16, 17 points. And I'm not sold on Clemson. The reason their stats look so much better now is if you can scroll down a little, I think it'll show the schedule. I believe they played like FAU and Charleston Southern. Like, come on, no wonder. Like, obviously the numbers are going to make their offense look better. But one time they played a team you've heard of, they lose 28 to seven on the road against a Duke team. That's better than in the past, nothing special. Whereas at least Florida state played LSU who went back to rebound and killed the team. And then again, played Boston college. who's not great, but no, it's still an ACC road game. And against a team that's charged up, look, Jordan in these kind of games, Florida state's defense. Now that I think they are going to be healthy is, is arguably as good as Clemson's. It's fairly close, but the offense is not even close. Florida state has better receivers. Clemson has a better running back. Florida state has a significantly better quarterback. Jordan Travis, is a top five quarterback in the country. He is an unbelievable playmaker, high IQ game. I'll be honest, because it still is a road game, I thought this would be Notre Dame minus, I mean, not uh, Florida State minus four and a half or five and a half. That's where I would have had the line. And I get it. This is an ultimate trap game. It is begging you to take Florida State. It is begging you to. Why Why would you not take Florida State at this line? That being said, I don't care. This is a team I believe in. I, before the season started, thought they would run the table and win the ACC and then lose in the college football playoff. I'm not going to back down on that bold prediction. Not that bold, but somewhat bold prediction now. 
I'm sticking with Jordan Travis and the boys. They're going to be healthier. The weather will be clean. It's not the same emotionally charged game. I think Clemson's going to be scared that they're playing a team they've heard of now. I think Florida State's going to win this game somewhat convincingly. I agree. And obviously, like I said, that that close win at Boston College is what um, is what is, you know, I'm sure is providing that type of spread. Boston College, obviously not the best team. And obviously they they haven't really played too. Obviously, they played LSU and they crushed LSU. But it looks like that uh, program, sadly, is on the down swing, at least for now. But I mean, I get it. Charleston, Southern Florida Atlantic. I mean, and obviously they lost it. They got killed by Duke, frankly. For me, this game is going to be about Florida State's defense, and if they can hold Clemson to any type on to, on any type, like at, at all, like the Duke defense did to Clemson, if they can hold them on certain possessions, I think Florida State really has this one and definitely will cover. But that those defensive numbers, of course, are the ones that are scaring you, right? Is you know they allow over 120 passing uh, rushing yards and almost 270 passing yards. And obviously the big number for Clemson is they only allow just under 150 passing yards per game. But again, you look at who they played, Duke, Charleston, Southern Florida Atlantic. Now they get against a very good team ranked top four in the nation right now. So that will be the biggest tell, but I would definitely be riding Florida state as well. Patrick, no, I'm going to throw it over to you guys real quick. Um, this, I know, you know, not everyone pays attention to college football as much as everybody else, but this is one of the games of the week and definitely um, a game to be talked about with the spread so low. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing I'll hit on um, Clemson's like there, there's only 19 FBS teams, I believe that have um, less turnovers than them this year. Uh, turnovers have been a problem. Um, and if they don't turn the ball over on Saturday, I think they win a football game. Florida state really doesn't do it for me yet. Watching that BC game. I mean, BC committed, 15, I think it was 15 penalties yeah. on yeah. the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they put that game on a platter for Florida State to take and cover, and they Florida State just did not play well. Uh, you know, I get people were out, but that's a game, you know, if you're a top fourth team in the country, you, you should win. You should win convincingly. Um, Clemson at home, this is a game, that, you know, Dabo's team's reeling. I, I mean, it's sad to say already, but they're reeling. Uh, they, they're talented. Uh, I, I think that Clemson wins the football game. Yeah, and I, Darius, what's going on, my friend? I'm not sure I've seen your name in here before. Thanks so much for joining the show. Greatly appreciate it, man. That was going to be my next point was the over-under. With teams like these types of defenses, Clemson obviously has a good up front, but um, if they can pick apart the secondary, I think 55 could be a generous gift as well. There's a lot of lines in this game that are – obviously 55 is a lot of points, but in a game like this where there's two questionable defenses – and two very high-powered offenses. I think you could definitely get that number. I think over fifty-five is a very. It could be a very good bet with that as well. And no, I don't know if you have anything. Um, if you have anything to add on this before we move on to the big game for college football, but I mean, this is definitely an interesting game for sure. Yeah, I I, I think sometimes people kind of tend to lean more towards um, past successes. You know, Clemson's been such a such a big name in football in the last couple mm-hmm. of years they've had such success Davo sweeney's got a hell of a uh hell of a resume which um, is what jim just said you know they get bet based on you know reputation and stuff yeah. like that and you yeah. know maybe their just talent level is just not as good this yeah. year but you're always worried about uh playing in in early conference games um i'm especially worried for my wildcats because they have to go in and play the gators and that's definitely going to be a tough environment so i I'm, I'm really looking forward to it but i 
I'd, I'd like to have a lot more confidence, but I really don't. Well, I hear you. Trust me. And of course, this is big noon Saturday. It's at 11 a.m. Um, I think Central- that actually hurts Clemson. I think an eight, I think a morning game is not a good thing. I feel I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like when you picture like the de- the Death Valley with the you know the environment, everybody under the lights, and that loud Clemson crowd to scare you. I, know, I just feel like again, and also like I mean, I think Noah can attest to this, Patrick, and even you, Kyle. We're all, we're all relatively young enough to talk about this. When you're a college kid, it's a lot easier to get all riled up and be locked in for a game that's seven thirty eight at night than when you're having to get up at nine a.m. and have to lock in for more. It does matter. Yeah, but I it's Clemson, right? I mean, you go into Clemson at any time. You go into Clemson yeah. at any time, and they're going to have that crowd rocking, especially in a game where they're playing the number four team in the country. But um, your point is definitely taken, Charlie. Tell you what, I mean. I didn't wake up for my football team. I mean, we won four games in four years, so I definitely didn't wake up for my football team. But for a team like Clemson, I might be able. I might be a little more inclined. But this is definitely a game to. I think there's a lot of different ways you can go, or a lot of different cases that can be made for either side of the ball. I I do like Florida State to cover in this game, and I do like the over for sure. I think the over I'd be much more interested in than the spread in this game. But this is definitely one to go for but guys this is the one Notre Dame Ohio State and before we talk about this game I need two seconds here just to change into my attire for this game oh he's <laughs> not wearing a Notre Dame thing, spectator is he? in this game he's so, gonna wear a Michigan sweatshirt I know it <laughs> anyway <laughs> um so as the boys in blue we're playing Rutgers doesn't matter but I hate both of these oh teams, god what a so tough gonna, what a tough schedule for Michigan so I'm gonna play UNLV. He's attacking you, Kyle. He's attacking you. (laughs) Hey, I don't have to hear it, dude. I don't have to hear it till the until Michigan's in the playoff and Ohio State isn't. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, (laughs) boys, take it take it away. This is the game we're talking about. I'm in my attire. Patrick's in his. Ohio State Notre Dame six versus nine. Very nice. But six. It's a primetime game on NBC. Six thirty p.m. between two of the top schools right now and two of the biggest high-powered offenses in the game today. And the big thing is, is that Noah, uh, and I said the one guy that didn't matter. Sorry. Uh, Patrick. Wow. No, that's not what I meant. All right. All right. It's over. No. And Howard, my college did have football, but they didn't have football. Um, Again, I watched a guy kick. I watched a guy kick a, in the homecoming game, a 19 yard field goal. He laced it under the bar to lose the game, but that's it. Um, Patrick is a Notre Dame fan. Charlie, of course, goes to Ohio State. So this is the game of the week for these two guys. I'm going to let them kind of hash it out here. Charlie, I'll let you go first. Um, Ohio State, I mean, they look they haven't looked necessarily extremely explosive, of course, but they've played Western Kentucky. They beat a, a lackluster Indiana team, now Western Kentucky, and now they go into South Bend to play Notre Dame, who, again, their offense has been amazing, but they've also played basically nobody. No, the offense hasn't been amazing. Quite frankly, the offense has been a disaster. That offensive line for Ohio State is a disaster. I'm praying, hoping after the Western Kentucky game when they showed some flash that they can be better. Uh, look, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best wide receiver prospect I've ever seen. Travion Henderson's finally healthy. It's good to see him. I don't know what to think about Kyle McCord. He obviously hasn't been the guy, and now he's kind of been thrown into being the guy now that Stroud's gone. Uh, now this is his first real test. I'll be honest. I think a lot of people were hoping and expecting for me to just shit on Notre Dame and rip into them and talk about why Ohio State's going to win. I'm going to take Ohio State because I have to out of pride, but I love Notre Dame in this spot. And I'm going to tell you why. When we played Notre Dame last year and got the win, 
and I think Patrick can admit this, their quarterback play was about the equivalent of of, of the high school I went to, a group of high school. I mean, you look, their quarterback transferred to Alabama, and he got benched within a minute. I mean, Notre Dame's quarterback room was probably the worst of any, like, power program I've ever seen. I mean, you had, like, a negative six-star starting quarterback. It was a joke. I could have put a fan in from Notre Dame with a blindfold on and probably had better quarterback play come out. Now you have Sam Hartman, who is my favorite college football quarterback I've grown up on. Uh, I watched him from a show on Netflix, as uh, uh, Darius mentioned. He basically has been a quarterback since the Obama administration. I mean, the guy's been in college football for about 40 years. I think he's married with six kids. Uh, but, no, he's unbelievable. He's a great Philip player. Rivers. Right. Philip right. Rivers. First of all, I have one comment on that. Go for it. I love Do Sam me a favor and look around college football on the rosters, and you tell me – the amount of years that some of those players have played. This oh, is no, not there's like, a kick, yeah. No, you're right. There's a kicker who actually they said is like 32 with kids. Clemson so just like, picked I up a kicker being... that's been working on 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 uh what's it called in New York City? Uh the, the stock exchange. I'm blanking on the word. Uh <laughs> the New York Street. Stock Wall Street. Oh, <laughs> eight years out of he's been in college football for eight that, years. That's amazing. Like, arguing about that, please don't bring that up. That's oh no, no, I, I'm not using it against I think him. It I benefits just benefits us if oh, anything. Agreed. A thousand percent. He's been in a ton of big games. I think in these tight games, the biggest difference is quarterback play. And I think Sam Hartman is probably a, a top five quarterback in the country. I mean, I'd put Caleb Williams and Michael Penix above him for sure, but I think he's right around after those two guys. Uh, look, their run game has been solid. I, I, they don't have anybody that stands out to me at receiver, but their defense is locked down. I remember when uh, Notre Dame played us. I mean, Patrick, you know better than I, but I believe one of your corners when we played last year was banged up or something because I remembered reading a report and thinking we'd take advantage of that. Playing in Notre Dame – What's tough for me is this. Notre Dame is Notre Dame, which is the only reason I think Ohio State could get this job done is whenever they get a chance to have a big spotlight game other than when Trevor Lawrence didn't play for Clemson, they always find a way to blow these games. That's the only reason I'm taking Ohio State. I just think Notre Dame's going to Notre Dame and find a way to lose. But in my opinion, I think Notre Dame's a better team on paper. I think Notre Dame's the toughest game on our schedule. It's on the road. Penn State's quarterback is not good. Michigan is just not a good football team, quite frankly. They look that is, terrible. That is I mean, the they worst take I've ever heard. Tell me, tell me, right, tell me Michigan struggled against Green. Struggled. Yes, in the first half, in the first half, tell me that game was not close. Don't it was not have their head terrible. coach. Game's a fucking walk. Yeah, they, they, oh, they don't. They even could, have their okay, all right, all right. Listen, 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 listen. Country. All right, listen. listen Notre right. Dame is the best team on our schedule. They're the game that scares me the most. I think if there's any team that's going to take out Ohio State, it is going to be Notre Dame. The other thing I do like about Ohio State is they played a Western Kentucky team who's going to but a quarterback who put up over 4,000 yards, he, he was right behind Bailey Zappi's numbers. So they have a great offense that our defense completely shut down. So that is the one other thing I love. Even though the quarterback plays the weakest I've seen since I've gotten here, our defense is finally ready. Our defense is finally good. And I think it really is going to come down to can Ohio State's defense get to Sam Hartman. If they can, Ohio State wins this game in a breeze. If they can, and if, you know, Kyle McCord struggles under pressure, they might lose. This is their toughest game. I think Notre Dame would kill Michigan. This is the toughest game. Absolutely. Patrick? Yeah, listen, you know, um, I do think that Ohio – it's obvious Ohio State, you look at the rosters, the talent, there's a gap in talent. Uh, but at the end of the day, I believe football games are always won at the line of scrimmage. Uh, Notre Dame has that offensive line that is going to – their offensive line is very, very good. They have two tackles that are studs. Um, a running back who lives right, actually grew up right down the street from me, and Audrey Gestime, who's he's 5'11, 275. He's a bowling ball. I mean, the guy, she's just incredible. Um, I think they're going to control both lines of scrimmage and call me crazy, but Notre Dame secondary is unbelievable this year. It's very they, they, good. They've been very – Benjamin Morrison's a stud. 
He's going to be a top pick. Uh, I don't know if he's going to come out this year, but definitely next year. Um, I'm not saying he's going to guard, be able to shadow Marvin Harrison, but they have multiple corners that can they'll cover um, Harrison. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and Buka, and then Fleming. Yeah, Michael Buka. Uh, yeah, there. Notre Dame can match what Ohio State has. This is the first time I've said in years in a game where uh, Notre Dame is an underdog against a you know a dominant dominant program. Uh, this they can't lose this game. This is something they have to win at home. You know, well, Charlie sounds nervous, which I like. Um, <laughs> this is the know. good point, though, right? No, uh, oh, Patrick yeah, no. is that's it's spot on. The game is so important to Notre Dame because since they're not in a conference to be able to play in a in a setting like that, if Ohio State loses, they can they can beat teams down the line, win as conference champion, and be in at yep. the three or four. If Notre Dame loses, they don't have anyone to back up that uh, to get back Do up. Do they the have SC? Because USC, I think, is good enough. They do. If they, if yeah, they, they do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, USC but, will probably win the Pac-12. But you're right. This They do have a lot more pressure. And, you know, you bring in the quarterback. I mean, you know, I can't hide the quarterbacks. McCord, if Notre Dame puts the game in McCord's hand, that could just benefit them. We, you know, if McCord's talented, don't get me wrong. But, no, you're listen, right. he hasn't shown it yet. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, fun. this is where it really – this is where the shit hits the fan, realistically, in the games like in college football yeah. is when they start – you get these types of matchups. You know, they're not playing the Citadel anymore if you're Alabama. You know, you're playing teams that have a lot of recruiting, a lot of – you know, they're power five teams. They can, they can hammer you on both sides of the ball. You have to be ready for these games. And like I said, there's a lot more pressure on Notre Dame in these types of spots. And they look they look fantastic, but they've both been pretty evenly matched up just based on stats alone. So yeah. coming into this game, it should just be a really good game to watch. And yeah, Charlie, to your point, I can't wait to the till Ohio State comes to the big house and JJ McCarthy rips them apart again. But hey, either Illinois, way, I will say shout out to the Illinois. I think he's an Illinois kid. I, I think yeah, he's he from. I think he, he went is. somewhere. In Illinois. He's from. Uh, he yeah. actually went to my my dad works in a school district, and he went to my dad's school district. So he, so he's sick and tired of hearing JJ McCarthy's name. But um, <laughs> he's a, he's a really good quarterback. I'll tell you. That. One thing but, I will say: win, lose, or draw. Shout out to Notre Dame and shout out to Ohio State for actually scheduling each other and not yeah. playing the UNLVs and East Carolinas of the world. You know, some schools don't want to have a cheating coach who suspends themselves against a bunch of two star recruits and walk <laughs> you out. Played Western Kentucky and Youngstown State. What do you want? (laughs) Yeah, but then after we go to Notre Dame, I heard I heard Michigan. We're playing. We're playing conference. Doesn't matter that our conference sucks ass. It doesn't. No, no. All I'm saying is you can still schedule at least one big non-conference game a year. And Michigan was like, you know what? We can't because we have to suspend our cheating coach. So let's go play a bunch of two stars who are going to go and lose by fifty. The the schedule was made a lot before, a long time before that, but. You know, it's the way it, it goes. Worked out very here. conveniently. For once, Michigan. For once, Michigan has an easy fucking schedule. For once. For once, who did you guys play last year? We played. We played four top five teams last year. Ohio State, Penn State, which are both in conference. You have to. Um, I'll take a look at it right now, but we're going to move on to NFL. Oh, we we're can talk about this off air. Yeah, here. they don't play anymore. But uh, I will NFL... say the best bet would have been to bet Notre Dame in the future because I think we talked about this before. Ohio State was like minus 14 when the season started in this game, which is bl- absurd to me, by the way. Yeah, we're going to go through these pretty quick here, guys, because we're already way over the time that we need to be at right now. Atlanta, Detroit. Detroit's looked very good. They're favored by three and a half, over under 46 and a half here in this spot. But um, 
it's again, Detroit's looked very good, but Atlanta two starting two and zero. Now they most likely get Corderell Patterson back in this week, which is just another weapon that they have on offense. Bijan Robinson and uh, Algier have looked an, an amazing uh, duo behind the ball, and it's just a matter of um, if their quarterback can step up, which he ended up doing last week. But this is definitely another test for sure with the Lions defense and obviously the stout offense that they put together. But um, Charlie, I'll let you talk first. Of course it is. They are in at Ford field in Detroit, which obviously could play to Jared Goff as actually Darius points out. He likes Jared Goff at home over Desmond Ritter, which of course we could all say that, but this game is definitely, I think this game's a lot more interesting than people think it is. No, it's a trap game. Absolutely. That's why I like, uh, I like Atlanta in the spot with the points. I mean, look, this game opened, when I, you know, I like to do my stats and my research to, you know, give leans on games. And when I looked, I believe it, Detroit was like minus four and a half or minus five when they started and Atlanta's getting bet down and it's at home. For me, I see Detroit's coming off of a, uh, not shocking, but still disappointing loss to Seattle and now gets to play Atlanta at home and you're making Desmond Ritter take on his first real tough game on the road after playing home games against a soft uh, Carolina team that's garbage and then a decent Packers team but so you're making Jordan Love go into his first like real tough game that wasn't the Bears I hate to say it as a Bears fan but let's just be real here um, but yeah for me again you have to look at trap games and when everything especially in the NFL in college it's a little harder but in NFL trap games are the easiest to fall into and I feel like anybody would probably assume Detroit's minus five and a half minus six and would cover I'm gonna take Atlanta uh, I mean, their defense looks a lot better this year. Bajan Robinson is is dope. And Desmond Ritter doesn't have to do much. You look at his stats, 350 yards passing. Like, they don't ask him to do much. And like you mentioned, getting Cordell Patterson back, I think they're just going to rely heavy on this run game, which, you know, the Lions didn't show any ability to really stop the run. So I, I'm going to take Atlanta here. And the other thing is that the other thing to note is Detroit suffered a few injuries last week. Obviously, David Montgomery is out. You can see their secondary. Um, Gardner Johnson's on IR, still yeah, on IR. Uh, Mosley and Joseph are both questionable, so there's still some injury questions now on Detroit's side. I don't, I can't see David Montgomery's going to play this week. I mean, that would be that would be a very big comeback for a running back. So um, they're going to have to rely on that rookie Juwan Gibbs. Um, hopefully, I mean, if they make him out to the star that he's going to be, I think I think they could do really well, especially against a defense, a rush defense that's pretty lackluster for. Atlanta, but they have a very good secondary. And if Jared Goff gets stopped throwing the ball, the Lions could have a tough time. But I would be leaning more towards uh, the Lions at home here than the Falcons. But of course, there is a. He says Detroit bounces back big Mm -hmm. time. 27 14 Lions for the boss. But of course, that's one thing we have to talk about. We're thinking the same way there. And um, the, the last game we're talking about, guys, is Bills Commanders here. Um, the Commanders started 2-0 and for the first time in what feels like forever. Um, they have a very good – I mean, Sam Howell, talk about a guy that people thought was going to be absolute – I mean, for lack of a better term, dog ass. And he's yeah, been actually really good. And yeah, and he's been really good. So um, he's been very uh, – he's been definitely sufficient and on the level of good. Um, Brian Robinson and that backfield has been very good, uh, very good welcome change for the commanders. They're at home, but now they have to face a very good Bills team, and they looks like they finally have a run game in Jared Cook. But um, this is, I think, this is another game. The they're favored by six and a half, but this could this could be pretty uh, pretty close here. But I would yeah. definitely lean towards the Bills. 
Yeah, I'm going to take the commanders here. Again, just rolling with oh, the other dogs. Public is all over the Bills. When I last looked, it was like 70% or so was on the Bills, and this line hasn't moved. I love this commanders team. Look, if you watched that Broncos game, they struggled early, didn't really know what they were doing, got settled in. That defensive line, which is showing back healthy, is unbelievable. They've been ravaging teams. I think they're going to make the Bills really struggle with that and get to Josh Allen and make him make those mistakes, you know, where he just says that secondary has to be down there somewhere those just dumb interceptions, quite frankly. So I think their defense and run game will hang in. And I just think that's but, going to be their style. As good as Sam Howell is in their receiving core, I think Washington understands the only way that they hang in this game. Yeah, I think the weather of anything, I think that helps the commanders. I think they understand the only way they stay in this game, conservative passing for Sam Howell, rely heavy, as you mentioned, Kyle, that run game that's gotten a lot better, and then trust their strong defense. That's how they win this game. As, as Jim kind of touched on, if, if you get into a dogfight with the Bills like we saw with the Jets, even when Rodgers went down, they struggle. It's when you let them do those high-scoring, free-flowing games like that Raiders game where they just pummeled them. That's when they get away. And I think the commanders are a matchup nightmare for the Bills because they're going to want a greed boss in that. I think the under is a great pick here as well. I think they're going to try to make this a gutsy game. I could see this being like a Bills 20-17 to game winning field goal game. I think Washington hangs in, makes it dirty, keeps it low scoring. But I mean, you got to. I mean, you got to think. Josh Allen. I mean, he threw through all three of his picks in the first game. It was it was very ugly, frankly, in the first game. Yeah. And then he comes back and bounces back like the Josh Allen we know. They finally look like they have a run game. I mean, this this Bills team now they're getting they're getting parts of the game that they didn't have before. And if that defense continues to step up like they should, um, I mean, the Bills are still going to be hard in this game, I think. But it is. But the Commanders are better than people think. And a lot better than they are on on paper. It'll be a good game for sure. Noah, you haven't talked at all, my friend. You're gonna have the final thoughts here as we close out the show. But anything you want to touch on um, before actually then move to any of the other guys, if you have any like best bets of the weekend or anything like that. I'm just excited for those Ryder Cup talks next week. <laughs> I'll see you there, my friend. Because uh, by the way, you want a hot take? Justin Thomas deserves to be nowhere near that Ryder Cup line. Oh, but that's stop just my it. opinion. Nope. He was absolutely horrendous this year. Okay, so has Ian Poulter been the last eight years, and what is he well, doing in the Ryder Cup? Well, yet? he shouldn't be in the Ryder Cup either. That's well, I, well, I agree well, with that too. Okay, but what does he do when he's there? I get it. I get it. And right, that's, gentlemen, this will be next week. This will be Justin next Thomas week. loses four and three, and then we'll talk about this. Justin Thomas weekend. is going to go undefeated. We'll do this next all right, Charlie. All right, Noah, say, and then I, Charlie, go ahead. Yeah, with your let best Noah, bets. No, no, I want to let Noah say his thoughts because he isn't getting to comment on the games. Then, yeah, I'll rattle off my best bets. No, I just, I just wanted to leave with everybody's talking about the U.S. team. This Europe team is legit. I, oh, I agree. Europe at plus money. I, I would hate to bet against my own country, but I feel like this is going to be a Ryder Cup for the ages, and I'm excited. And on the home turf. Oh yeah. Yep. I agree. All right, best bets. I know. I already know Patrick is going to hate one of them, but I don't care. So, starting off, Western Kentucky playing at Troy. They just lost to uh, James Ma uh, Madison after James Madison had a big win where you thought they would fall apart, and they didn't. Western Kentucky is going to win their conference. They're on the road as a slight underdog. That offense is unstoppable. I think the reason they're an underdog is because Ohio State killed them. D throw that out the window, they beat them. Colorado plus 21. Oregon is a terrible football team. They beat up on Portland State. Congratulations. They have one player that you've probably heard of. The rest of them are probably just focusing on getting a 9-5, to five, making small money. They're not football players. They played hey, a bad Portland Texas State Texas beat North team. American 94 to nothing. Yeah, yeah, they covered the 91 and a half. Then, they, then after that, they played against a bad Texas Tech team and barely survived against a Colorado team that hasn't played amazing competition, but 
still, this is an important game for them to hang in there. They have Bo Nix, a.k.a. Bo Picks. You know when he's in these big games, he collapses and makes dumb mistakes. Thinks he think he has a few turnovers. I also like the under in that game because everybody's been in the over. It's moved up to like 71, which is just ridiculous with those kind of defenses that Oregon has. I don't see it getting that high. Uh, Washington State money line getting plus points at home against Oregon State. They're an unbelievable football team. Pummeled Colorado State. Upset Wisconsin and dominated them at home. They're at home again. I love them in this spot. Give me the points. Give me the money line. They could beat up on them. South Carolina minus six and a half. Mississippi State lost to LSU like a 100 to six. They're terrible. UNC minus seven and a half. Uh, they're playing Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is terrible. They might they might get 10 yards of total offense. Pittsburgh is terrible. Uh, USC is playing Arizona State, who's the worst power five team in the country. Uh, they just got beat up on by Fresno State at home. USC minus 34 and a half. Lincoln Riley loves proving how good they are against bad teams and struggling against good ones. I think USC will win 95 to nothing. Uh, and then Washington is at home against Cal. Look, Washington's going to win the Pac-12. They're going to prove that USC's frauds with that bad defense. They beat up on Michigan State like 50, like 40-something to 7. They literally hit, didn't hit the over because they beat them that bad. They have the best quarterback, arguably, in the country, Michael Penix Jr. They're minus 20 and a half. They're going to beat up on Cal as well, who cannot move the football. Those are your best bets for the week. And when they go 7-0, you can thank me. Sorry, Patrick. Colorado's hanging in there. I mean, they, they are. They, I mean, the plus 21 is, I mean, I get the hype. and Dion's I mean, they, not letting that happen. There's going to be a, there's going to be a lot of money on Colorado. That's the other thing. Oh yeah, is, for sure. Especially a plus 21. So that's the other thing you got to keep in mind. But um, if that line moves, keep your eye on it. But plus 21 seems like a lot of points to give a Colorado team against an Oregon team who hasn't looked necessarily like the Marcus Mariota days by any means. So but those are your best bets, and that's going to conclude the show for us today, guys. Thank you guys so much for joining in as we've kept everybody um, throughout the – basically the viewership throughout the entire show, So, which has been absolutely great to see. Thank you guys so much um, for – yeah, 95 to 0. That's that's Charlie for you, Racing Downwind. That's just the way it goes. Honestly, hey, he says, hey, he says stuff like that. I don't even bat an eye at it anymore. That's just the way it goes. But that is going to be it, guys. Again, thank you guys so much for joining the show, and good luck with your bets this week. Um, good luck with everything this week with your teams, with your bets, and, cru and crush your bets this week at in college football, NFL, and, of course, Sunday at Remington Park. Have a great night, everybody. Good night.